I'm Kristen Ludlow from NBA Inside Stuff, and you're listening to the Double Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Double Clutch Podcast, presented by Leaning. I'm Mike Miller, and once again, I'm joined by the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Joe Holbert. Ah, oh, that's the nicest way I've ever been introduced. There we go. How's, wow. <laughs> how's it going? Yeah, very good. I am, uh, as I mentioned to you before, hitting record, sweating in a small room, which I've had to crack the window on. So apologies to Matt if you're editing this, because there may be some background noise. <laughs> uh, wow. Can you believe what's happened in the last week? Just in general, well, firstly, from where we were a week ago, and then, and then secondly, with free agency. It's been um, it's been an eventful week. We'll put it that way. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, this week's pod, we're going to bring you up to speed with the latest free agency movings, uh, and then we're going to talk about what we were up to a week ago, which um, was off in Greece with two K um, in temperatures not far off what we're experiencing now. Strangely enough, um, but yeah, let's let's crack on with. I know you're excited to get the two K bit, but let's uh, let's get to the free agency first and, and let everyone uh, hold, hold their breath on the 2k uh, side of things um, so first off let's start with and it bugs me to start with Carmelo Anthony but let's start with Melo uh, who's opted in uh, following uh, which was quickly followed by reports of a buyout because he's unhappy with his role in OKC um, is he anything more than a spot-up wing shooter now I think he could be a good spot-up wing shooter to be honest his true shooting percentage last year was pretty good the problem is with him is like the mental stuff. The ability is there even to play a smaller role, but he still will like you know uh, do a pump fake and end up tunneling himself into a mid-range fadeaway. So you know I read a really good article from one of the uh, one of the Lakers guys I really respect on Twitter, and he said that actually Mello would be a very good signing for the Lakers because he adapted his game last year, did a lot more pick and roll, pick and pop stuff. And if you can kind of get him to just tone it down, then yeah, he can be a good player in a low role. My question is though, will he take that role? Because last year he was asked if he'd come off the bench and he laughed. But actually he should have been coming off the bench because yep. Jeremy Grant in this NBA is a more valuable player. He's not a better player, but he's a more valuable player because of what you know, some of Melo's bad habits, they kill his team. So it's it's kind of a case of facing his own mortality then. Um you know, not willing to take a smaller role. Do you, would you even be a third choice on an offense? Um, it would depend how good the other two were. I think. Yeah. If you, I think if you put him on the Rockets, yeah, I think he'd be a pretty good third option there because he's going to have loads of space, even and he gets all the horizontal and inside space that Capella, if he resigns, is going to give him. Um, but if you're putting him on a team where maybe the better players are sort of more defensive minded. So he'd never go to the Bucks, but I'm thinking of a team like that where I think he'd kind of he'd um, push his role up. If that makes sense, he would have a bloated yeah. sense of self-importance. A guy he should be looking at is Dwayne Wade. When Dwayne Wade signed with Cleveland, I was really critical because I thought he'd be the same. But he adapted his game. He played as more of a playmaker, as more of a pick and roll ball handler, and it can be done. But it's just a case of whether Melo will want to do it. Yeah, fair, fair enough. Um. I I think he's going to struggle with doing it. I don't think he's 
I don't think he's ever going to be accepting that he's not the player he once was, which he doesn't feel like he's been for five or six seasons now. Uh, so the rumours have him going to the 76ers, the Lakers, the Heat, and well, one-off, sorry, the 76ers, Lakers, Heat, and Rockets. Rockets and, and Lakers are obviously easy choices because that's where his, his buddies are. Um, the Heat was a surprise one for me, uh, although Wade's there actually, so no, that, well, if he re-signs, he is. Um, and the 76ers, uh, best fit for him? Rockets? Of those, I would say Rockets. I don't get the Heat fit at all. They're um, already maxed out on cap. And it's clear. And to be honest, if you um, if you guys get a chance, look at Melo's upbringing. It's quite a. I mean, a lot of these guys have tough backgrounds. His is particularly tough. So I don't blame him for chasing that money, which is why I don't think he's going to go to Miami because they just don't have the capabilities. So he's either going to chase a ring, or you know, go to the highest bidder. But I think Houston, yeah, that that seems the easiest fit to me. I, I the way I I mean, you mentioned his upbringing and why he chases the money, but it's kind of. It, leaves a bad taste in my mouth this um the whole opting in to his ridiculous salary and then immediately uh, i'm unhappy i want out it just it just felt uh, but kind of what i've come to expect from Mello. um i think whoever gets him is going to get a bargain because after he's been bought out he's he's not gonna he's not going to require a massive salary i reckon you'll get him on some kind of exception or very very low deal um be interesting to see where he lands and to see how he can uh, adjust his his play. I think it would be good if he was somewhere where one of his buddies are, like you know the Lakers, the Heat, or the Rockets, because I've got a feeling that uh, guys like LeBron, Dwayne, and CP3 have enough gumption about them. Oh, there you go, gumption. There's a word uh, to to actually sort of you know pull him in, um, let him not be too much of a prima donna, if that makes sense. Yeah, he needs somewhere where he's going to be grounded. I think the problem they had in OKC was the the off their offense. It's for me, it all comes down to the offensive scheme. But OKC's scheme, it really ends up in a lot of isolation. But he needs to go somewhere where they move the ball and where other people are handling the ball. Because I think actually with Melo, the fewer touches he gets, the more valuable he is. And I don't mean that they should like hide him, but mm. what I mean is just let him do the few things he is good at shooting. He's still a good shooter. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, that's why I said at the start, a spot-up wing shooter. Um, did I say spot-up? Definitely a wing shooter, but that's that's cool. Anyway, we'll move on from him. Just like Tony Parker has inexplicably moved on from the Spurs. So he's taken a two-year, 10 million deal with the Charlotte Hornets after, I think, 17 seasons in San Antonio. This one shocked me. Yeah, I wasn't, um, I kind of, I he was one of those players I never expected to see in another jersey, even though like mm-hmm. most players don't just stay with one team forever. But I don't, I don't mean to put a dampener on this move because everyone's like, oh, I love Tony Parker. That's, I do as well. I don't understand why the Hornets have done this though. It just, there's a lot of, there's a couple of moves that haven't made sense to me at all. I, yeah. I I just don't get it. I don't understand it. They should be. I would much rather take a chance on the guy from a guy from the D League, or you know, just have Malik Monk running the point for the bench unit. I I don't really get. It. I don't buy this um, mentoring other players thing. I, it's just not something I believe in. I think that's the coach's job. But it's it's a strange move for Charlotte because they they if you go and look at their depth chart, it's just a bizarre roster. They've got so many like. 
they, now they've got Biombo on there as well. Like it's such a strange, strange team they've put together. Yeah, I, I wonder, and I'm going to put my speculation cap on. I wonder if this is part of uh, San Antonio's attempt to rebuild any form of relationship with Kawhi because uh, we don't know what's going on. Well, I don't know what's going on with Kawhi. The, the general consensus is no one knows what's going on. Uh, but a lot of it, a lot of the finger pointing seems to be around comments that uh, Parker made about his injury and things like that. And that created sort of a uh, a distrust between, between the sort of, uh, well, the locker room. So I wonder whether this is, a case of Wahigo, Tony, we're not saying you walk away from the game, but we don't want you back. You know, despite the fact that they've said Pops and Parker had telephone conversations and, you know, before before taking the offer, it just feels to me like why would you walk away at this point from that franchise? You're, you know, averaging career low, admittedly massively reduced minutes. Um so he's not as as inefficient as the numbers suggest, but still, this is a guy who is thirty five. So he's he's not got long left. It just seems odd that he's left the Spurs. Yeah, I think a lot of this, from what I've read, is he's got a very good relationship with New Hornets coach James Borrego. I definitely buy your thing as well. I think the Spurs are trying to get younger there because they've got um, they drafted Lonnie Walker, they drafted Derek White last year, who's looked pretty good in summer league, by the way. Um, that they need to get the ball in the hands of younger players, people with a higher ceiling. And I do think the Kawhi stuff is part of it. And I'll I'll say one thing. If Parker was still any good, um, I think they would have kept him. I really do. I think the mm-hmm. the main thing here is for basketball purposes. He's just... The Spurs last year, the word I'd used to describe them was slow. Parker yep. was a big part of that. And so was Kyle Anderson, who we might end up mentioning later. But like, I think they want to get a little bit quicker and speedier. And so getting rid of a 35-year-old point guard makes a lot of sense. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I also think that the, the Spurs, as much as they show loyalty to players, are always um, frivolous and won't overpay. They're always happy for guys to move on to bigger, better contracts. Yeah, I just think this is one of those situations, as as weird as it is, that this is a guy who has been such an, an important part of the franchise for so long. But let's leave the Spurs behind and go over to the Trailblazers. So, Yusef Nurkic uh, agrees to a four-year, forty-eight million deal to remain with the Blazers. What's your th- thoughts on this one? Because I've got lots. God, what are you? What are the Blazers doing, man? <laughs> so you dra- you drafted two centers in. Well, Swanigan might be more of a power forward. You drafted two bigs in the first round last year. And that's not my issue. Like, if you've got a good player, I don't think Nurkic is a good player. He was unplayable in the playoffs. And I'm not saying this because he got done by Anthony Davis, because Anthony Davis would do anyone. Rudy Gobert, you put him up against that, he's going to destroy him. He's that good. Yeah, but it's, it's it's the lack of mobility on both sides of the ball. I just, you know, a lot say, oh, he's been really good. I don't think he has been really good. I think he came in at a time where the Blazers had really had a couple of bad free agencies. They had a couple of draft picks who hadn't worked out, and I think he was basically just better than the rest of the rubbish that was on the roster. That doesn't make him a good player. Like I would have said, thank you very much, Yusuf. You kind of you helped solidify us as a mid playoff seed, but we're going to go towards Collins and Swanigan. That's my take on it. Yeah, I, I'm I'm in the same boat. Really, the way I look at it is he had that surge in performance. We'll call it um, towards the latter end of 
last season after arriving from Denver. And I, I was very explicit that I was concerned. The only reason he was playing that well is because he was motivated by the fact that the Nuggets didn't want him and took Jokic over him. It was spot on because that's exactly what he's done this year. He's, he, he's appeared complacent, kind of bratty at times. Um, I'm just frustrated with the Blazers trying to to run the same unit back again. I mean, they, they finished third in the West. It it meant nothing. And what what frustrates me in addition to these is that they let Ed Davis go, who who is great team player, rebounder, gets in there, gets physical. They've they've signed Seth Curry and Nick Stauskas, so they they've stuck with this weird fascination that that Stotts and as much as you know in Stotts I trust. Um, this weird fascination that they're going to get things done with small guards when every time they get beat in the playoffs it's because they can't handle the bigger guards. It, I, I think that Curry and Stauskas are upgrades on Connaughton, but it just feels like they're trying to run back a slightly upgraded version of a system that's not going to work. Yeah, I could definitely get on board with that. Um, I, I remember I was telling you in the lift in Athens that I really liked the Seth Curry signing. But I think you've got to, like, as much as I like him, he's not going to fix your problems. And I think Nurkic was a problem. It was just, mm-hmm. it wasn't actually just um, Davis in the playoffs that was causing him problems. He was having trouble with, like, Amika Okafor. Yeah. Which is, he was being bullied. And it's it's just, it's an odd one because I don't really understand what Nurkic's main skill is. I think he's an okay PNR role man. I think he's, he's very limited outside of that. I don't think he's a great post-up player. He's just one of those centers that I think is going to float around bad teams. And, it, you know, people who go, puts up 15 and 10, but they're kind of empty stats. That's the way I see it. Maybe I'm being a little bit harsh on the guy, but... No, I don't think so. <laughs> I, I remember saying I remember saying to you as well that I don't know how Neil Olshare is still in this job, and I think this offseason, it could be the final straw for um for the Portland ownership because I don't think the coaching is the problem. Like Stotts has his flaws, no. but... There's not a lot Stotts can do offensively when you are giving him, as much as I like Aminu and Harkless, I think having both of them is overkill. I question the offensive skill of both of those. What I'm getting at is you don't have a single skilled forward or centre. So you're just kind of, that's all you can really do is run through those two high-powered guards. And when when your offence runs through to 6'3", under sub-200-pound guards, you've got quite a low ceiling. Or with yep. albeit a high floor because they're both very good. No, I I get that. Um, I wonder whether the fact that they've picked up Stauskas, who who's just I I just I don't see the point in that. Uh, and Curry in replacement of Connaughton suggests that maybe there's a m- another move on the horizon. And I I've got a feeling that CJ might be on the table at some point this summer. Um, I'd be surprised if it was if it was Dame, but I think I just got the feeling that there's no way that, that that they can look at this roster and go, this has put us X amount of games ahead of where we were last year and is going to get us out the first round I've got without say, something big happening. Sorry, go ahead. I'm I'm a bit worried for you guys in terms of making the playoffs this year. I felt, and I'm not gonna lie, I didn't say this at the time because I remember on our when the Blazers, Blazers got eliminated, I was saying, oh, you you were the three seed, and you said to me. Joe, we were the three seed because Jimmy Butler was injured, DeMarcus Cousins was injured, uh, Kawhi Leonard was injured. And I think I agree with you now, having looked at this roster a little bit deeper, 
I'm I think you're going to slide down towards the to the bottom end of the West and with what yep. with what Memphis have done, Memphis are getting Conley and Gasol back. I I do worry for the Blazers in terms of staying afloat. And now you've obviously you've probably got the Lakers coming in as well. You've got the mm-hmm. Nuggets who are going to come up. I personally I think the Nuggets are better than the Blazers. You know, I just I really I think this team's one dimensional. You look at the Nuggets, they can hit you in the post with Jokic, they can hit you from three with Murray and Harris. The Blazers, you've got one plan. They're both very good. I mean, they've 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 won you playoff series, but you need yep. more to survive to survive in the West. I completely agree with you. Um, I I don't know where they go, and I actually don't know who I'd prefer to see go. Whether it would, I say prefer to see. I don't know who, which one would hurt me less, if that makes sense. Whether it would be Dame or CJ, because as great as Dame is, I think CJ is still ter- terrific and and horrifically underrated. But okay, let's leave the Blazers behind. I seem to be saying leave behind a lot today. Um, no particular reason. The Bulls plan to match. Zach Levine's four-year, seventy-eight million offer sheet, which includes, and I like this bit, which includes injury protection for the team on his surgically repaired left knee. So, the Bulls have matched uh, the Kings' offer sheet for restricted free agent Zach Levine. He only played twenty-four games last year, and people have been picking apart uh, a slight reduction in his field goal percentages. But that's not really a surprise, given the injury he came back from. Good signing for the Bulls, or would you have would you have let him? Walk or limp off into uh, Northern California. So I'm very biased on Zach Levine. I am one of the biggest Zach Levine be- uh, Zach Levine believers on Twitter. That's a mouthful, isn't it? Zach yeah. Levine believers, yeah, absolutely. But I'm quite happy to say it because I've um, <laughs> I was very much in that we should have kept him over Andrew Wiggins' camp. He's yep. I think he's he's not a good defender, but a lot of the great a lot of the great guards in this league aren't great defenders. The guy we just spoke about, and Damian Lillard. He's got the potential to be a very well-rounded scorer. He excels in multiple different play types. I think he was the kind of player who would have dragged Sacramento. I'm not saying they would have made the playoffs for him, probably not close, but they would have at least had someone who can sort of bear the offensive load. I think it's a big blow for Sacramento that they've not gotten him. I think last year they went for sort of old free agents. This year they went for a young, very talented two-guard. Again, I'm biased, so you know a lot of people know this when I talk about Levine but last year yes the numbers weren't great he was coming off a horrific injury he was on a horrific team as well it just was not the kind of team that is that is built to maximize him now they've got Mm -hmm. two stretch bigs they got Larry Mark and they got Wendell Carter Jr I think you're going to see Levine's field goal back up towards sort of 46 47 percent it was 38 percent last year I think even if he can add just a driving dish I think he's going to be a very valuable player he's Put it this way, a lot of Bulls fans are talking about Chris Dunn. Zach Levine is twice the player of Chris Dunn. Yep, okay, so you're definitely pro Zach Levine. Very, Um, yeah. You mentioned uh, Wendell Carter there. I I got up at 5am this morning to watch the Bulls-Lakers game. Uh, Although he had a knee injury scare, I was was impressed with what I saw from him on the floor. Um, And I can't believe, I just just wanted to say that so people realise that I get up at 5am to check out NBA summer league. I don't know what's happening to me, but it was it was nice and quiet and lovely and and a good time of day before it got swelteringly hot. Realistically, 
the Bulls, how much improved do you think they'll be this year if, if they make no more changes from this point on? Uh, in the West, they'd have no chance. In the East, I like them as a dark horse for the low playoffs. I think Okay. I've been really impressed with what I've seen from Carter. I don't want to buy in Summer League because Glenn Rice Jr. was um, Summer League MVP two years ago. I couldn't even tell you who he plays for now, but... I I like that front court. You've got Carter, who to me, looks like he's going to be a rim protector who can shoot threes. We've not yep. really seen anyone like that. You get guys like uh, Hawford. I, I think Hawford's better in other areas, but Carter is going to disrupt a lot of shots. And I think when you've, when you've got that shot blocker, they are going to get so many points in transition. Like Levine, I could tell you right now, is going to have some fun highlights this year, but I like them to get sort of 37, 38 wins. And in the wow, east, okay. in the east, that might be enough. That really might. I think I would have liked to have seen them get a wing in. I I don't think they did much in free agency, but I kind of like them to sort of to do something this year. Yeah, I I think last year was a learning curve for a lot of the Bulls. Um, certainly, transitional year. I think they they were a couple of years late in moving on from Wade. Uh, that era was just. Not good, uh, I don't think. Um, I think Levine is is a very talented player. I question whether he's enough to lead them. Uh, I just can't. I just can't see him being like the, the. I can see him being the top scorer on a bad team. You know, like a high 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 stats bad team kind of guy. I don't know where they're going to get anyone else from that can be impactful immediately. I still, I think they're a couple of years away from getting back to where they want to be, but I guess that's just the nature of this particular rebuild. Let's go over to Milwaukee and Brooke Lopez. So, Lopez has signed a one-year, three-point-four million deal. Do you like this move by the Bucks? Um, I like it in the regular season. I question whether someone like him could stay on the court in the playoffs. It's not the rebounding that bothers me. I don't care about that. He's got enough other skills like three-point shooting, which is a good passer as well, which offset that rebounding. But I question his defense and his feet on the perimeter. And one of the things the Bucks like to do, I don't know if Budenholz will do it as much as Jason Kidd like to, but they like to trap and switch a lot. I question whether he fits in that. But actually, I kind of I prefer to analyze this move from a Lakers perspective. The fact he has gone from the Lakers, it's a disaster for that front office because... Their starting centre next year is either going to be Ivica Zubac or JaVale McGee. That is isn't a disaster. And and I'm not saying... Hold Lo- on, JaVale McGee just started in the NBA Finals. What could you possibly mean? <laughs> I mean, he's not, you know, he's not got Steph Curry and Clay on the perimeter. He's, you know... But it's it's a disaster for the Lakers because Lo- I'm not saying Lopez is an amazing player. I like I like him. I think he's fun to watch. But he was the best available for them. And they they've there's nothing on the market now. If you go and have a look at the free agents left, it's depressing. It. Yeah, they may get someone like Jonas Jerebko. He's not a centre. So there's a lot of emphasis this year going to be placed on Mo Wagner, who they drafted out of Michigan mm-hmm. in the first round. I like him. Um, I think he's a negative defender, though, and I question whether a team with LeBron should really be starting a rookie who was drafted towards the end of the first. Okay, so we differ slightly. Um, so I'm I'm... But only on the details, I think. Um, it's well publicised that I'm Rolo over Brolo. Um, I'm not a big Brook Lopez fan in general, and his rebounding is an issue for me. It makes me absolutely mad. Uh, but I actually, I really like this move from the Bucks' perspective. 
And I know that Milwaukee's defense was rough last year and this does absolutely nothing to bolster it. But it's the offensive end where I see this making the biggest impact. Um, he can spread the floor. He, he Last year he hit uh, 34.5% from three, which is impressive for a seven-foot center who basically up until three years ago didn't shoot threes. Um, and I think this is where it's just going to open up the floor for Yanis to operate more effectively. It's, it's essentially this move is going to magnify Yanis's already ridiculous abilities to get into the post and spin. Um, so they ran a few, well, they ran a few, they ran several lineups last year with Yanis playing as the de facto four. And that just, with, with Brooke as the, as the five instead of someone like, um, I can't remember his name, John, John Henson. Henson. Yeah. yeah. Who who can't hit anything outside of three feet? Um, just it just gives them so many more options in the playoffs. A lot of the way that teams shut down the Bucks was to just absolutely collapse the middle. And I think that yeah, he's he's going to give up a lot of points on D on D, but that option is just going to prevent or at least slow the defensive big man and rim protector from from just collapsing over to Yanis and, and putting extra pressure on him. I just think it's just it's a move that I don't see it making huge difference in the win column, but I do see it making a difference in, in close games and uh just allowing Yanis to be the best version of himself. Yeah, I've um I'm with you on the fact that he's gonna help create the driving angles. I think Mike Budenholzer are a lot of his sets he likes to run. He needs a stretch big. Before this signing, they had Jabari Parker, but he might not be coming back. John Henson, I think he's terrible. I just don't really understand his value. He's a good rebounder, great, but to survive in this NBA, you need more than that because otherwise Reggie Evans would still be playing. So <laughs> you've, um, I think it's going to help Bledsoe as well. I, I'm not as big on Bledsoe as other guys. I think his skill set is very limited. But it's very hard to... His game's all about getting to the paint and driving. It's hard to do that mm -hmm. when you've got John Henson just standing still, not doing anything. I like... Yep. And with regards to his defense, I will say one thing. I don't think he's ever going to be a great defender. But I try... I, Mike Boonholzer, what he was very good at in Atlanta was hiding some of his players. So Jeff Teague, I can promise you, is a terrible defender. But he didn't look awful under Boonholzer because Boonholzer is a good coach. So I think they're going to do what they can to hide him and... He's going to be a positive, even if he's not a great defender. What he brings to the rest of the team is going to is going to be a it's going to be a good thing. But I said a minute ago that you think it's a disaster for the Lakers. Do you kind of agree with me there, or do you think they can get by with Zubac and McGee? Um, I think it's definitely a loss to for the Lakers, but I wonder whether it is a disaster because I look at it in the grand scheme of things and and a lebron filled brookless lakers is much more appetizing to me than than what they were dealing with last year so and i guess i'm i'm dodging the question a bit there um I, sure he would help and i think he'd actually work well in lebron system the way that that and i hate to draw this comparison but the way that kevin love played in, as the the five in cleveland but would hit the corner um and and pull up for three there that could exactly be L Lopez's role a slower less mobile version of Kevin Love um but I just don't think he was that impactful to begin with if that makes sense no he's a, he's a very divisive player he's the kind of player that you know if you follow more like advanced stats uh based accounts on NBA Twitter then they're, they're not a big fan of him because as you said about the defense and the rebounding 
yeah, I, I'm, I'm never going to forgive him for uh, not being willing to get in there and use that seven foot frame to grab a few rebounds. It's just, just, uh, I'm just getting angry at the thought of it. <laughs> but let's say, sort of, with Milwaukee then, um, the bit you've been waiting for, the bit I know you wanted to talk to, uh, talk with Matt on last, the last pod that came out, um, where we were last week. So last week we had the fortune of being invited as guests of of NBA 2K19 to Athens for the well the unveiling of the standard edition of the NBA 2K19 cover which of course features Yanis Antetokounmpo and it was pretty epic I'm not going to lie that was that was a, an amazing couple of days um in Greece uh what do you want to say about it Joe because I'm just grinning thinking about it and I just can't believe this time a week ago we were we were there yeah it was um Ginger Shack, I remember, said that. Shout out to Ginger Shack. Yeah, what a top bloke. But I remember he he messaged yeah. us all on a Tuesday or Wednesday saying it's such a come down not waking up in Athens. But all I will say about this, a lot of people, um, a lot of people like to treat their breaks as kind of luck, but I think it's hard work paying off more than anything. We've we've uh, and like a lot of other people, by the way, but we have stayed up late on so many occasions. We're always reading, always writing, always better in ourselves. It was, it was quite humbling to sort of get the recognition for it on the national stage. Obviously, look, between us, we all think we do a good job, but it's, it's kind of different when someone else recognises you for it. Yeah, it was awesome to be one of only five basketball-specific outlets from the UK. So there were, of course, ourselves. There was Mo from Hoop Genius. Shout out to Mo. Uh, you mentioned Ginger Shack from NBA UK Fans. Uh, Danny was there from Hoops Fix. Uh, and then Irish YouTuber DBG was out there as well. So there was there was a few basketball heads. There was a heck of a lot of of gaming guys and esports guys. You mentioned wow. last week. Uh, shout out to to Roche for for educating himself on the NBA by listening to the Double Clutch podcast. That that was that was humbling when he said that at the airport before we'd even left, and we were just like, wow, okay, that's that's cool to meet someone who listens to the show and, and was actually like, yeah, it's, it's teaching me about the game. That that was that was really cool. Just just from the minute it, it started, it had a, a, an awesome feel to the whole event. When we flew out on Aegean Airways, did you did you clock the advert they were playing? So we were sat in separate uh, rows, but did you see the 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 Greek tourism advert they they aired with Yanis in it? I, yeah, I kind of I wasn't really watching it, but then I was I think I was reading and I I saw some out the corner of my eye. I thought, bloody hell, that's Giannis. Yeah, yeah, it, it really <laughs> stuck out. I mean, you can't miss him; he's massive. But um, yeah, yeah, they were a lot. I've got to admit, I knew, um, I knew that basketball was quite big in Greece in the sense that, like, I know their teams get decent attendances, the likes of Olympiakos, but I didn't quite realize how big it was. I mean, you weren't in one of the taxis we took when he heard we were all journalists and that I was an NBA journalist. He was like just talking to me about LeBron. If you went in a taxi in London, no one's talking to you about LeBron. Yep. You know, it'll all be like football's coming home and stuff like that. So it was it was pretty amazing, actually. Just um, It wasn't just Jan. I mean, Jan has obviously done a lot, but I think they would like it regardless of whether he was like a big player. Oh, massively. Because, uh, well, basketball was sort of embedded in their culture out there. The, the amount of, of Greek guys I know just from, well, just from playing and, and uni and things like that, and they are all huge basketball fans um in fact the, the the new 2k cover has 
uh, lots of lots of words on it, essentially describing Yanis uh, and various aspects of of him. And um, one of the words in the bottom left hand corner is written in in Greek, and uh, I'm not going to spoil what it is because I've got a piece coming out on it shortly. But um, as soon as I saw it, I I, cop- I, I clipped it and, and sent it to to my friend Vass. Uh, shout out to Vass. There's lots of shout outs today. Um, and I was just like, you, you've got to tell me what this means and. Um, it was great to have people you could lean on to to sort of get that information from. The the one that made me laugh though was the the taxi driver who claimed to be his coach. Uh, did you have him? No, I didn't. So there, so one of the guys who took us to so uh, there's a court in I want to say it's called Sepoia, which is um, uh, basically on the outskirts of Athens is 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 the district Yanis is from. Um, it has a court with an absolutely huge mural, uh, full court mural um, of Yanis. And uh, the taxis took us out there. One of the guys was claiming to be one of Yanis's coaches. And we were like, oh, yeah, okay, right, whatever. He's like, yeah, yeah, no, I, I was, I played an important role in, in his decision to play basketball. We're like, oh, right, okay, yeah. And he's like, well, I, I wasn't his coach. I, and I was like, okay. Okay, he just said he was, and then he was like, I, "Yeah, I, I met him, and was just like, no, you need to play basketball. You're tall." And it was just like, it was weird how this story had been like. I was Yanis's coach to, well, I, I might have met him once and told him he was really tall and should play basketball. <laughs> it was just like brilliant. The, um, the court was amazing because when they said we were going there, I expected it to be, to be like a facility. If that makes okay. sense, like an, I expected yeah. it to be an indoor court. But we kind of rolled up, but I, I got to say I preferred that it wasn't like that because it didn't feel so corporate. It felt very, um, very real, very working class. That's kind of the vibe I got from. Uh, for going there, it's like if you watch some of the England football stuff, they'll go to sort of the parks they played in as kids, and this is what that felt like. But it was yeah. cool. We had a couple of people who were coming in just doing a shoot around, and that was kind of when it really it stuck out to me that it was a basketball trip rather than sort of a gaming trip, if that makes sense. It was just such a such a cool thing to see. Yeah. Um, and mo- getting shots up in 40 degrees was not good, though. No. <laughs> that was hot. And Mo was uh, putting that young kid through the uh, Tom Thibodeau-style drills. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, it was it was a great event. So the, the actual... Uh, press conference and launch took place on the the Monday evening probably about this time no we're a couple of hours behind aren't we um a week ago uh and essentially Ronnie 2k came out who we'd been bumping into in the lifts uh most of the weekend in fact 2k had pretty much taken over the hotel which was a, a great hotel as well uh with views of the Acropolis essentially they did a whole talk about how important and and how groundbreaking it was that you know, this is the twentieth version of NBA 2K, and for the first time, that the standard cover edition is is has got a, a European player on it. That that kind of struck me as amazing because, you know, we we talked about the NBA as a global sport for so long, and how the '92 Dream Team, um, you know, really globalized the game. We've seen many, many, many European Hall of Fame players, you know, guys like Dirk, who's a, a champion and an MVP, but was never on a 2K cover. Just kind of jaw-dropping that that 2K had, had chosen a 23-year-old Greek guy who who essentially was, well, similar to Dirk, I guess. When he came into the league, no one knew who he was or or what he could do. And before he's even 
got to the peak of his abilities, he's already the guy they're choosing to be on their cover. That that just kind of for me was just like, okay, this is this is awesome. Yeah, I've got to admit, it's a massive um, it's a massive problem to me that Dirk was never on the cover. That that just amazes me. I just yeah, I was trying to think of that earlier. I was just like, I was like, how how did Dirk not get a cover? Well, how did you know like Paul George get one and Dirk didn't? Don't, I don't mean that disrespectfully, but like there were a couple of years where Dirk was maybe top five player in the league, and he didn't even and he should have got one really after Dallas won their championship because. He is. He's not just a European player, but he was kind of popular in the league as well. Do you think maybe it's his his style of game didn't translate well to? Yeah, I think he's a, fin- a marketing tool. He's a finesse player, and I think if you look at a lot of people who've been on the cover, it's sort of high powered guards who you know can get you ten points in in a minute. Whereas Dirk's game was a bit more finesse, a bit more methodical. So yeah, I think that's a big part of it. It's a personality thing as well. He doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who... Not that Janice has an ego, by the way, but I mean in the sense that Dirk's very grounded. I doubt it would mean as much to him as it does to some you know, people like Kyrie, LeBron, George. Yeah, no, I, I get that. That that's that leads me nicely on to this one. But uh, So obviously there was a Q&A and a, and a press conference with which Janice came out and, and spoke. Uh, at, how, how, what was your perception of Janis as a, as, a, as a person? He seemed quite personable. This, I mean, that was my first ever NBA event, period. But the stories I've heard is that a lot of them are very media-trained. And if they sense that you're asking a sort of question that's not going to allow them to give a cliched response, they'll kind of brush it off or they'll they work around it. He seemed to yeah. just answer the questions at service. You know, so like Gav um, did the sort of more jokey question and he reacted well to it rather than just getting angry. So... Shout out to Gab from IGN. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, man, we're getting a lot of shout-outs in there today. It, he just seemed like a, a grounded person. There's a lot of egos in sport. It's not just the NBA. Just, just generally there is, but he didn't seem like he was one of those. Yeah, well, I, I I loved how he still came across as, as genuine and and someone with a sense of humour, but he was nowhere near this the guy who first came into the league who you know tweeted about having his first ever smoothie and all that. He was now like... This was this was like a man who who was very quick witted and it was just I was impressed. I, I, his his response when they gave him the personalized Xbox and he was just like I'm just going to sign it and put it on eBay in ten minutes. Was just that that had me just come up with that straight off the bat when he clearly <laughs> didn't know he was getting the the Xbox was was great. I love the fact that a lot of this is about his family. Like if you go back to his, his sneaker deal that he signed with with Nike last uh, September time, I want to say. He said that was about family. This one on the on the the, the promo video, it's his mum talking about him. Um, the first thing he did when they went back in for some, uh, did like a photo shoot back in the the conference room after we'd all left, and the first thing he did uh, was get was get his mum on stage so she was in the pictures with him. I really like that sign that side of him. Like you said, personable. He just he just seems like an incredibly well-rounded individual if that makes sense um after the the press conference you and i got to spend a bit of time talking to ronnie 2k which was cool he he's got a heck of a fun job hasn't he yeah he's living the dream but i mean he's you know when when we got back to the uk i read a lot of stories and this is a guy who really grinded to get to that position he um he works tirelessly on networking and he was he was a good interview i've got to be honest i i didn't think it would be 
the interview which will be available later to everyone but he felt very personable you know it was he wasn't just kind of hitting it was yeah it was proper responses it was what you think he had a bit of a sense of humor i i don't get me wrong i didn't expect him to be like a bad person when we were going in there but i didn't think it would go as well as it did and that was testament to him but also to like me and you and how we prepared and our mentality going in there as well yeah his story is pretty cool so he he played uh played ball in san diego uh san diego state i believe he's from the bay area uh originally and now he's back there uh with 2k he wanted to become a sports agent and was doing a load of minor league baseball and women's baseball stuff and and that and sort of worked his way up and ended up joining 2k and wasn't ever to be sort of the the face of the essentially the face of 2k every year isn't he uh, on there's certainly their online social media presence and that wasn't ever the the aim but that all came from uh being given a camera and a microphone and being told to do some q a on the spot into sort of interviews with players and and something just clicked and it went from there it's, it's definitely a cool story definitely worth checking out um i think we're going to try and get a copy of the the audio from the interview tapped onto the end of this pod so definitely stay tuned for that but we'll also be putting out the video of it that's right you can see joe and i on screen uh talking to ronnie 2k as well we'll get that out on the site very very shortly um is there anything else you want to add before we go joe uh, it's nothing i want to add but i just want to reiterate like this was this was quite amazing that this is what it's become you know it's again it's all down to hard work yeah but uh yeah, thank you to 2K for to taking us along. That was it was great to be part of it. Um, it was great to 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 meet other people who are doing similar things to what we're doing, and other people who recognise what we're doing. Uh, not trying to sound big headed at all, but we appreciated that. Um, thank thank you to to everyone who listens as well. Um, I hope that you enjoy the interviews and. Make sure you get in touch with us. Make sure you're following us. If you're not, if you're not already following us, then then shame on you. Uh, it's at Double Clutch UK on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, you can email us if you've got any questions or uh, anything like that. That's admin at doubleclutch.uk. We'll be back with another show very, very soon. Probably more free agency and trade stuff to discuss because I realise there are bits we haven't gone over already. And one more thing as well. My... Um my off-season series where I am interviewing a beat writer or blogger from every team. The first one should be out very soon. I interviewed a guy about the Clippers, so expect more of them to be coming thick and fast. Awesome. So you've got Joe's series to look at out for as well, but uh, we'll catch you na- next time. Thank you very much for listening. We've been the Double Clutch Podcast. Before Phenom, before Freak and Oster, before he was a buck, before his rise, before he grow his weeds, he was just a boy with a name. A name I gave him. A name that today is known by the world. Awesome. Thanks for joining us. Of course. We're the Double Clutch Podcast. Uh, first question, you've probably got one of the best jobs in the world. Uh, takes through in your shoes yeah i mean i get to represent the most passionate fans of a video game um and just a great development team and uh obviously the nba is so exciting and you know the nba has got a rocket ship tied to it 
so it's it's a it's a lot of fun. I you know I provide so much feedback of of the community and. Um, I'm, I'm just like this fat, passionate fan that just happens to work for this this great brand. Grew up in the Bay Area, mm-hmm. back living in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. Who were you a fan of growing up? You know, it's funny. I um, was a huge fan of Shaquille O'Neal as a kid. So okay. I love those, you know, those pinstripe uh, Magic uniforms with him and Penny. So I, I love that team. I've always followed kind of stars around, like instead of teams. So I was a huge Shaq fan, huge Jordan, huge Shaq, and then now Kevin Durant. So I guess I'm a default Warriors fan, which I get a lot of heat for on the community, but I mean, it is what it is. And, and the game itself obviously comes out every year. How, yeah. how do you stay sort of fresh creatively? No, that's a great question. Um, obviously, you know, NBA 2K, we have to make those strides. We have to tell great stories. That's why, you know, this Giannis thing is such a fun new challenge. Um, but, you know, our development team gives us a lot of ammunition. No game changes feature-wise, on an annual basis as much as ours does. I can say that unequivocally. Um, they do such a great job of pushing the envelope in, in terms of new stuff. I mean, last year with the neighborhood, I, mean, I never thought in a million years we would have like kind of an open-world concept. Um, so it's, it's remarkable to work, for, work with such a great development team. Uh, my question is kind of related to that. What is next for the NBA 2K series? Yeah, I, I mean, I think we learned a lot uh, last year. Some stuff with gameplay uh, that uh, we've addressed and we're going to be talking about in a couple of weeks. The neighborhood, last year was the first year, so I think that you know we, we uh, wanted to find what other things that we could kind of add to it to advance the mode. So there's definitely a focus on those. But look, there's, a, there's something for everybody in our game, my team, quick game, everything. So it's important for us to push as much as we can on all those modes because everybody plays different things. People play my GM, my league. So it's important for us to continue to push the envelope, and you'll hear all those features in the coming weeks. You've, um, you've mentioned quite a lot that players often will sort of reach out to you about 2K. How mm-hmm. important is the game to sort of just the average NBA player? And is it just the stars that message you, or is it you know, the sort of smaller role players as well? No, that's a great question. Um, there, I'll answer the second one first. It's, it's everyone, right? I, I, I think it's a badge of honor to be in a video game just as much as it is to be in, in, in the NBA to a lot of these guys. I mean, all the rookies talk about it. DeAndre Aiden on his draft night, he didn't tweet anything that the NBA did. He tweet, retweeted my congratulations of him because he was now in NBA 2K19. You know, it, it's a big deal for these guys, and we want to... Um, you know, give them the best experience possible because it's representing them. Based on first impressions, rate us for the game. Uh, you, you, um, I don't, <laughs> don't want to be mean on camera, I'm sorry. <laughs> Brilliant. You wanna... I've got more of a general NBA question now, if that's all right. Sure. Um, LeBron James obviously joined the Lakers yesterday. That means now if you probably ranked the top 20 players, most of them play in the Western Conference. Do you think it's time to abolish the conference system, or is that something that would be unpopular? You're talking about, like, playoff seeding? Yes. I kind of like the 1-16 to 16 thing, no matter where you play. I know that creates some travel nightmares, uh, but we live in a new age where it's not too difficult. to Like, I think you should get the best 16 players in the league, but we'll see what the NBA does. I mean, it's, the playoffs are always exciting, and, I mean, God, the West is going to be tough. It's going to be real tough. So the last, the last seven MVPs are from the West. So that's insane. So just the last question then. Uh, so 2K18, Kyrie cover the star, was the cover star. A few days later, 
pretty much traded away. <laughs> yep. LeBron announced as the Legends uh, edition cover yep. uh, this year, and pretty much weeks later has left Cleveland. Is this a 2K curse destroying the Cleveland franchise? Uh, we, <laughs> we are sick with, no. Uh, it's funny, everybody talks about this curse about how every player since 2K13 has moved away. It's, it is kind of wild, but we have also crowned champions too. Every, every athlete since 2K9 except Paul George either won the championship right around when we announced them or the year after. I think that's pretty remarkable too. So, so you haven't had any panicked calls from the Bucks press office? <laughs> I, I think, I mean, based on Giannis and his personality, I think he's going to be in Milwaukee for a long time. Thank you very much. Yeah, no problem. Thank you.